Right, you got your Bibles. Um, open it anywhere, but um, specifically to Matthew chapter 5 might be a good place. In fact, you could go to Matthew chapter 3. So um, I just touched on something, not last week, the week before when I preached, and I, I just want to refer you back to it because to me it's one of the most powerful events in the Bible. And it's really interesting that um, this particular passage records the first words of Jesus. And then I'll tell you what the second words of Jesus were, recorded words in the Scriptures. I'm sure he spoke, okay? And, uh, but the first recorded words of Jesus, and it's important for us to pay attention to it. And I, there was just an unusual anointing when I shared this at the baptismal service. But have a look at uh, Matthew chapter 3. Then cometh Jesus, verse 13, from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of John. But John forbade him, saying, I need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me. And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now. This is the first recorded words of Jesus. Can you believe it? When he's saying, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented, or he suffered him. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him, and a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And then the next chapter starts with him being led into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil for 40 days. Now this incident is a ground-setting occasion that formed the entirety of Jesus' ministry. It summed up his entire life up until that point, but then it was formative concerning all of his ministry going forward. The first recorded words, the second recorded words of Jesus, in all likelihood, is in Mark chapter 1, where it's Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Isn't it amazing? And so he never started preaching. So the second lot of recorded words of Jesus comes after the first recorded words, and that is, you know, it is becoming for us to fulfill all righteousness. Now, I want to just touch on fulfilling all righteousness and put it in its setting because I think it's really important. And Andre preached a brilliant message last week on the difference between righteousness and holiness. If you didn't see it, you need to get it. It's really powerful because there is a difference between righteousness and holiness. Amen. Sometimes we confuse them. Sometimes there is a little bit of an overlap in their meaning. But by and large, righteousness and holiness stand a little bit apart, and we need to understand them separately. And so what a good teaching. Now, I just want to put the backdrop of this scripture in proportion or in its correct setting. And the setting is Hebrews chapter 10, verses 5 to 10, where Jesus said, you know, a body is prepared for me, sacrifices and offerings you did not desire. Then I said, lo, here I am, I have come to do thy will. And so the whole purpose of Jesus was to come and do the will of the Father. And very often, all we think of is the cross, you know, but it's bigger than that. And there's a bigger setting to that. And I want to just share it with you, and I want to try and make it as practical as possible. But at the same time, I want to challenge us with this teaching this morning and, and these words of Jesus. Let it be so, suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. So the goal of Jesus was this, I have come to do thy will, O God. You know that Jesus, the Bible says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Philippians 2 verse 6 says, he did not consider equality with God 
something to be grasped. In other words, he was equal to God. But there was a submission because of understanding of authority. And so he submitted to the Father as the Son. And so he was not clinging tenaciously to that position. He knew he was equal with God. Same as the Holy Spirit is equal with God. But Philippians 2 continues to speak about it, about how he emptied himself, how he gave up position, how he gave up divine attributes in order to become confined and limited as a human being. But more than being just a human being, he went to the lowest level of humanity and became a servant, a servant in his obedience all the way to death, even death on a cross. And the death on the cross bit was because thy will, O God, is what I've come to do. Amen? And so you've got to understand that Jesus began to fulfill righteousness. And I was so taken up with that statement that I went and did more study on it. Jesus decided, if I can put it that way, committed himself to fulfill all righteousness from eternity. From even before he was born as a human being. He said, I will fulfill all righteousness. I will do what the Father wants me to do. And com submitted completely to the plan of God. Really interesting, isn't it? And so we need to learn how to fulfill all righteousness. Now, I just want to continue with this a little bit. It's very interesting that if you read the book of Matthew, two themes stand out in the book of Matthew. Number one is fulfillment. And number two is righteousness. And so in the writing of Matthew... Matthew puts it as a theme. There's a sub-theme that is going on. That this Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, came to fulfill all righteousness. And that's why over and over again, more than maybe two dozen times or more, either fulfill or fulfilled, you can go and look at it. And it would say, and thus he fulfilled what was spoken about him in Isaiah. Thus he fulfilled. Thus he fulfilled. Thus he fulfilled. All the way through, he was fulfilling righteousness. It's very interesting that Jesus said, Right from the beginning in Matthew chapter 5, you know, blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Your righteousness needs to exceed that of the Pharisees. And so there was a rightness that Matthew is concerned about because somehow the rightness will bring about a fulfillment. Now, you've got to get this. This is the point that I'm going for. And that is that the righteousness, the rightness with God will bring about fulfillment of Scripture. Now, I'm going to say it again because I've got to drive this hard. I like what Billy Graham once said. We live in a world where we're more concerned that we do not offend people, but we're not concerned about offending God. We are so politically correct that we'll use all the right word, all the PC things. We'll do all the right things so as not to offend anybody, but we have no qualms offending God. And that should not be so in the church of Jesus Christ. It's, we should not want to offend God. We must put God first, His ways first. We live in a modern world where what is right in my heart and what I feel to do is now become the supreme authority. And we can't do that. Is that all right? So it's what God says. It doesn't matter what a culture says. It's what God says. And especially for us as Christians. Is that all right? It's what God says. And so fulfillment and righteousness. Now, right there, it's very interesting. Right there, when Jesus said, you know, those who hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled. I want to bring out another aspect of righteousness. Because it's got a little bit to do with 
more or less, if I can, it's got a bit to do with the covenant and the law. Is that okay? Okay, so I want you to understand this. That God in His holiness puts out a law which is completely righteous and holy. And so His righteousness and His holiness is expressed in the law. So in other words, if I want to be righteous, I need to obey the law. Then I'm righteous. So righteousness, very much and very often, righteousness becomes equal to obedience. Everybody say obedience. Everybody say obedience. So righteousness. Now, it changes that verse a little bit. It changes that verse a little bit. Okay? So the verse, read it like this. Those who hunger and thirst after obedience shall be filled. And I just want to suggest that. Okay? It's not exact, but it's quite close. All right. So Jesus, when he said, Father, I have come to do thy will. It's written about me in the scroll. You said sacrifices and offerings you do not want, but a body you have prepared for me. What was Jesus saying? You want obedience. Is that okay? And so that was what he was requiring of Jesus. So Matthew does something else and makes this plain. Now before we go there, when Jesus came, he came as the son. Is that right? The son of God. What did he say, the son? Okay, he was the son of God. He was the son of God. And the Jews themselves, the teachers of the law, understood the closeness of the genetics. That if you say, I'm the son of God, you're making yourself God. So it wasn't an inferior role in his personhood. He was maintaining a place of equality with God. Because they said, you blasphemed and said you were God. Well, he didn't. He said, I'm the son. He's my father. But by implication, you were saying, I'm God. Is that okay? So as the son, the son, you know, would imply, the son of God would imply a huge amount of rights. The son. I mean, if the son, you know, comes in, the son of the king comes into this place, he has rights just because he's the son of the king. Says so the Son of God, he came with immense rights. Immense rights. And he was, the world was created by him and for him. Isn't that right? So when he came onto earth, I mean, he should have had the accolades. He should have not been born in a manger. He should have been born in a palace. And so it came with all of these rights. But in keeping, in keeping with him submitting to the will of the Father, he came. The son came, you got to get this, in order to fulfill righteousness, the son came as a servant. The son came as a servant, as a servant. So it's very interesting that huge sections of the prophecies of Isaiah talk about the suffering servant. The suffering servant Messiah who would come, but who would have the fullness of the spirit. And so that's part of the backdrop of the kingdom and of the glory, and of the power, of the new heaven and the new earth, the new Zion. Part of all of that was coming, was this suffering servant, this lowly Messiah who is coming, but would have a full portion of the Spirit. But this same son is described by Matthew in three offices. This is getting good now. And the three offices that Jesus had were prophet, priest, and king. And Matthew outlines all of them. Now, I want to just talk about fulfilling all righteousness. Is that okay? I've already started mentioning it. I like what one great Bible teacher said. He said this. 
I want you to keep this in mind. He said, every Christian covets the end of Scripture, the blessing of Scripture. But very few of them want to pursue that Scripture to the end. I'm going to say it again. I'm going to say it again. Every Christian wants the end result of Scripture fulfilled, end result of prophecy fulfilled. But they don't want to pursue Scripture to the end. Let me just modify that a little bit. When the going gets tough, do we compromise? You know, or when it's not convenient, do we go another route? Or do we maintain fulfilling all righteousness? You see, when Jesus came, he was the Son of God. But he would occupy, as the Son, three offices. But even when he occupied those offices, he was still the servant. So the first thing that Matthew portrays Jesus as is the king. But he's the king who serves his people. You know, so right from young, he becomes a man, as I've already shared with you. And this man who is fully God is a baby at first, and he has to grow up and go through all this stuff, but he is submitting to his parents. So let me just chuck this in for all young people and the children out there, maybe those who are watching live stream from home, is that part of fulfilling righteousness is submission to your parents. Amen? And it's the first command that comes with a promise. And Jesus fulfilled righteousness because when he was at home, I'm sure if his mom told him to wash the dishes, he washed the dishes. If his dad said to him, go outside and clean the chariot, he cleaned the chariot. You know, grease the axle or something. You know, he didn't have a chariot. But, you know, whatever, go and clean the woodworking tools. He went and did it and he had the correct attitude. You see, the king was a servant. But he was a king. But he served. It's really interesting that Jesus himself said that, you know, don't be like the Gentiles who want position and want to lord it over. He said, I didn't come like that. I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Come on, church. You know, we've got to know that part of our fulfilling all righteousness is your servanthood, your act of service. How are you serving in the kingdom of God? It's amazing to me how many people just would rather avoid that part, you know. And so there needs to be acts of service in the kingdom. You know, starting from making your wife coffee in the morning because he brews, you know. And so somewhere along the line, we need to have servant hearts, servant hearts, servant hearts. And the more in leadership you are, the more of a servant you need to be. Your leadership role depends what and how with what you serve. For example, part of the way that I serve is with the word. But I am not averse to cleaning the church. I'm not adverse to going and cleaning the men's toilets when I see there's a mess on the floor. I'm not adverse to making the band coffee before they get here. And the route to greatness in the kingdom is a route that goes via servanthood. Everybody say amen. Say, I need to serve. I need to be a servant leader. And so, you know, everybody's talking about, I'm a king. I've got authority. I rule and reign. Yeah, well, let's also check out your service, but... Okay, turn to somebody and say, that's preaching good. It's good. We fulfill righteousness. Isn't it amazing how there are so many in the Christian world that once they're told who they are and what they can be and what they can do, it's almost like the fundamentals and the basics go by the way. Yeah. Never lose connection with those. I like what Prophet Kerbis always used to say. He builds it into the temple. It's not doesn't replace. 
It just becomes part of. Is that okay? He says this, we still need to see the joy and the laughter and the falling on the floor in the church. But we need to be going on to maturity. But it doesn't mean now we're too big for that stuff. Is it okay? He says, what, how do we serve? You know, when John started baptizing, this was another man's ministry. That's how you are with another man's ministry. Jesus was completed, and this was his cousin. This was his cousin. Hey, Kaz man, you know, you know sharp Kaz, yeah, cool, check you, you know. You know, well, hey, Kaz, you know, I know you're the son of God and all, but, you know, God says be baptized. No, nah, it's cool, man. We know each other, but, you know, you know, just bypass the baptism, you know. But he could submit in another man's ministry. He could receive the grace that was on John the Baptist. Even though he was sinless, it's proper for us to do this. Come on, church. If we want the blessing of God, we need to pursue Scripture to its end. Then we can expect the end of the Scripture to be our portion. You know, very often you hear Christians when they're going through a hard time, where's God? And like I said to you, I often say, well, where are you with God? And I really mean that. Where are you with God? You know, we need to be making sure that we're fulfilling righteousness. There needs to be an endeavor. There needs to be a heart towards. That's why Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Is your desire. Come on, church. Do we as ACMAs, do we hunger and thirst after obedience to God? Is it our priority? Do we say, like Jesus says, you know, it's written about me in the scroll. A lot of the epistles is about me. It's about you. So I've come to do thy will, O God. And so Jesus, the king, came. He was circumcised as a little boy at eight days old. He was baptized. But here's something that I wanted to bring to you. And I, mean, I read somewhere that you could become a priest at the age of 20, a Levitical priest. But if you did, you could never offer the sacrifices. If you waited until you're 30, then you could become a priest who could be offering the sacrifice. And Jesus, when he was baptized was 30. And so God was saying, well, you can offer the sacrifice. Really awesome. And so right there when Jesus was baptized, when he was baptized, when he was baptized in the water and he came out and the heaven was open, the spirit descended on him, the first function that he stood up in was the king. Because Psalm 2 says about, you know, why do the nations rage and conspire and da 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 It says that um, I will set my king on the holy hill. And he says, and the proclamation will be, today you are my son. So the king would be the son. And so when God said, you are my beloved son, he was saying, you're the king. And his baptism. Come on, this is stuff you haven't heard before. I haven't even heard it before. I went and studied it. Now I've heard it. Amen. And so God was saying, you're the king. Because you're the son that I love. And on the day that I say that, I'll be appointing my king and setting him on my holy hill, which is Zion, you know, which is the new Jerusalem, which is the church, which is the whatever. And so, but at the same time, at the same time, what God was also saying was, this is the anointed servant who was to come. Same time. Because Isaiah 42 verse 1, he said, behold my servant, the one that I uphold. He says, on him will I put my spirit. And he will bring justice to the nations. Isaiah 42 verse 1. So at the same time as him saying, this is the king. He said, this is the suffering servant. And so Jesus fulfilled all righteousness all through his life. Every move he made. Every place that he went. The royal son and the loyal servant. The king was fulfilling everything 
that God had set out for him. He even faced Satan in temptation. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. When uh, the devil came to him and said, if you're the son of God. No, it's settled. I am the son of God. God says so. Amen. And we revel in that. And we should. But then when he came to him, he said, why don't you turn these stones into bread? And he said, man shall not live on bread alone, but every word. Basically, what the enemy was saying, what the devil was saying is, raise up sons out of these people of the stony law. He was saying, don't go the whole route. Don't go in the direction that, you know, we're kind of seeing from Scripture. You don't have to go to the cross. Raise up sons. Raise up bread out of the stones. And he goes, no, 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 no. Man shall live by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Then he said to him, why don't you come up onto this high place and then chuck yourself off because, you know, God says he will, you know, not let your foot dash a stone. And he, he was tempting Jesus into tempting God, going beyond the proper right constraints and prescriptions of the word. And, you know, there are so many. There are so many. God said it to Israel over and over again. Why are you testing me? Why are you tempting me? Because what they wanted to do was, I want to do my will, my way, and then God, you bless it. That's tempting God. Okay, let's say it again. Let's say it again. We say, I want to do what I want to do. My way, my will, God, you come and bless it. God says, that's tempting me. That's testing me. Come on, church. If we want to see the end of Scripture, follow Scripture to the end. Do it God's way. It's really important to fulfill all righteousness. And so the last one, of course, is bow down and worship. You know you shall worship you know, the Lord, you God only. And the reason why Satan said that was, he was saying, I will then give you all the kingdoms. He had an inkling in that little pea brain of his, you know, the brain damaged brain. He had an inkling that this was the son because he also reads the Bible. That's why he can try and confuse you with it. He knows what's written in Psalm. I will give you the heathen as your inheritance. He knows what's written. In that psalm about the son and the king being installed on the holy hill, he knows that the next step is you will have all nations. So he knows. So he's going, okay, you know, all this suffering and pain and all this kind of thing. Come on, man, that sucks, you know. Just bow down and worship me. I'll give it to you. See, there's the temptation to shortcut. There's a temptation to shortcut. Listen, church, go the route. Go the distance. Trust God with your lives. Go the route. Go the distance. Trust God with your life. Amen? Don't try and take shortcuts. Don't try and just follow the route that God has for you. Because we can try and, you know, mark a plan. How many of you have known many times, you know, when you're short of money and you're trusting God for something, you resorted to plastic? And you made, your, you made a plan. Yeah. And you, it was something you were believing God. I'm going to believe God. I'm going to believe God. And it was a confirmation in your heart you should believe God. But because you really wanted it, wanted it, wanted it, wanted it, you swiped. And when you swiped, there was a little bit of a disappointment in your heart. How many of you have ever experienced that? I've done it. And there's been a disappointment in your heart because I know I've made my own plan. I've short-circuited something of God. Now, there's a whole lot of principles in the Word, there's a lot of principles in the Word that we try and shortcut. We can't shortcut it. Is that okay? You know, one of the, it's a really awesome thing when people know how to apologize and say sorry. It's an awesome thing. But you know how many people can't do that? They will buy you flowers or give you a gift. They will do anything other than say, I was wrong, I'm sorry. And, and I, I know it's none of you. 
We'd rather short-circuit a principle than do it the right way. Instead of saying, I goofed, I blundered, I blew it, please forgive me. There's something in our pride that doesn't allow us, you know. It's easier for me to make Bev tea than go and say sorry for her, you know. Make her four cups of coffee in the morning, you know. And that will be my way of saying, I'm an egghead, I'm stupid, I'm sorry, you know. Some don't even make coffee for their wives. They just carry on as normal. It's just, you know, when the thaw comes, you know, when the thaw, when the mount comes, then we just start talking again. How many know it's important for us? In Isaiah, God says, I'm listening, but my people don't use the right words. They don't turn. They don't repent. They don't say, I'm sorry. Come on, church. Here we have the king, who was a son, came with the attitude of a servant and served us all the way to the cross. Now, just to keep it a little bit more limited, um, because of time's sake, I've got to just finish the next two in a few minutes. Let me just run through it. I have all the notes. But that obedience as the servant took the king all the way to the cross. And the incredible thing is the people that he came to rule and reign needed salvation, needed deliverance. And through his sacrifice and his servanthood, he delivered them. But the amazing thing was that right the way through his kingly reign, all the way through, his whole kingly reign, and I'm going to come to it just now as well, that he operated in the manifesto of the kingdom that he pronounced. And Isaiah continues in Isaiah 42, verse 1, then in verse 2, he talks about he will not shout in the streets, nor will he cry out loud. But he says, but a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out till justice is established in truth on the earth. And so that whole justice, in all of that righteousness, in all of that tenderness he came, and even to his enemies, even when he was hard on them, the purpose was to bring them to repentance. And the goal was for them to be saved. And when he came, he was gentle. He was empathetic. He was sympathetic. He was kind. He was gracious. He was merciful. Because some of the earlier words that he said was he said, come and take this yoke that is upon me. And he said, you will find rest for your souls. You know the verses in Matthew, I believe it's chapter 12. And so his whole ministry was one like that. This was the king who was the servant, but who was the son. He fulfilled righteousness in that office. But the next was, he was the prophet. Very interesting, when Elijah received the law and pronounced it to the people, he received it on a mountain. And in Deuteronomy 8, Moses himself said, God's going to raise up another prophet. And that prophet sat on a mountainside and he introduced the new laws of the kingdom. And it kind of goes, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are they, blessed are they, blessed are. And this was the new law. This was the dispensation of grace and mercy. Because all the law and prophets prophesied until the time of John. Then the new prophet takes over and he goes, okay, let me tell you about this kingdom that's arrived. Let me tell you about the attitudes. Let me tell you about the beatitudes. Let me tell you about the happy attitudes. Let me tell you about how this kingdom operates. And so here was the prophet who gave the law. It's interesting that in Zephaniah and other places, Zechariah 1, 6 and other places, it's very plain that all of the prophets, none of them perfectly fulfilled the law that they prophesied. They couldn't. Every one of them broke the law. They were all sinners with the very own law that they proclaimed. Jesus was the prophet who was to come, and he was the only one who fulfilled all of that. 
Old Testament law, thus fulfilling all righteousness. But come on, then he brought in a new law, the happy attitudes. Amen? And blessed are the poor in spirit. And Jesus made himself poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Well, he was the meekest man on all of the earth. And so he was the first and the only prophet who fulfilled even his new own law that, that he fulfilled. So as the son of God, he came as the prophet, but he kept the law. In other words, come on church, he practiced what he preached. Amen. Because he was also anointed to proclaim the word of God. He proclaimed the coming kingdom. He called people to repentance and faith. He expounded the law, all the while fulfilling the law. And um, so in Matthew chapter 5, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. But he didn't have to mourn for his own sins, but he surely mourned over ours. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Well, that's why he's inheriting the earth through us. Amen. Blessed are they who do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And we know that he was filled. He was anointed with the oil of joy above his companions because he loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. What greater mercy can we observe other than the mercy that Jesus had for us? The pure in heart, for they shall see God. He was the purest in heart. He was the peacemaker. And uh, he was persecuted for righteousness' sake. And that's why he inherited the kingdom. And so he was the prophet that fulfilled the law. And then lastly, and then I want to just wrap it up, he was the priest who then also was the sacrifice. Really amazing that he didn't come with the blood of goats and bulls. But even as a child, how many of you know when he was 12 years old, he was found in the temple. Priest in the temple. Get it? 12 years of old in the temple. When the parents came and saying, where were you, where were you? And he said, didn't you know I should be about my father's business? Well, part of the father's business was one office that he was to fulfill and was to be our new great high priest. He instituted a new priesthood. All the while, all the while, in that office, he's fulfilling all righteousness. Amen? So some of the things that he did to fulfill that was that he taught people which was a responsibility of the priest, where they were to teach them the law. Remember when Ezra came back and they'd rebuilt the temple and all of that? Ezra was the lawyer, the teacher of the law, who was to reteach the people the law and get them back. This is the teachings of the law. Remember how he got so angry with them because the very things that got them into captivity, they were doing again, which they had learned. And he was so upset and he says, Don't you, didn't you, didn't you, you know, like, have you got rocks in your head? Yeah, they did, the law. And he was reteaching them and saying, Come on. You know, this is breaking the Sabbath, marrying foreign wives. This is the very thing. You know, industry on the Sabbath. This is the very thing that got you into trouble. Get back to the law of God. So the priest teaches. He acts on behalf of men in relationship to God. And so he was always presenting them to God and God to them. He prayed for his people. They're very interesting. During, you know, Jesus, Hebrews 5, his, his days on earth, Jesus offered up loud cries, prayers, and petitions. And he was heard because of his what? His reverent submission. I'm going to just say that again. Maybe some of our prayers are not answered because we don't reverently submit to the principle of the word. We need to be fulfilling all righteousness. Come on, church. If you can't say amen, say amen. He said he was heard because of his reverent submission. And in that case, his submission as priest 
taking the prayers and petitions, taking the people of God to God in and through prayer. Interesting thing is, all of those ministries, he continues in today. In particular, the priestly ministry. For he ever lives to make intercession for us. He cleansed the temple of wrong practices. And then he stood in that Old Testament, just outside of that old temple. And he prophesied the new temple made of living stones, you and me. Amen. After he died and buried and raised up in the third day, the new temple was built on the third day of his resurrection. He prophesied that. He prophesied the coming destruction of, he was the prophet, but he was the priest at the same time. And then, as I said, he didn't offer the blood of animals, he offered his own. And when he raised from the dead, this is what Paul says in Hebrews, that he was holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Thus he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. He always lives to make intercession for them. There's a very interesting verse in Job that says this, and I'm heading to a close now. Very interesting verse in Job. And uh, many, many years ago, God really spoke to me from this verse. And he said to Job, Others will be saved by the cleanness of your hands. Others will be saved by the cleanness of my hands. We need to fulfill all righteousness. Now, let me just temper it a little bit. God doesn't expect you to be instantly perfect. But like Jesus said, have the heart for obedience. And when you see that the, here is a scripture I'm not fulfilling, endeavor to fulfill that scripture. And you may struggle with it once, twice, or three times, but get it right. Fulfill all righteousness. Because then you will experience the end of scripture. If you pursue it to the end. <laughs> Amen. So I just want to close by just getting you to go to the book of Ephesians. Just as one example, I want to just share this with you. And this is not a bash you message. It's not a whatever message. But so often we are pleading with God for his blessing. We're invoking his blessing through speaking it. We're confessing his blessing. You know, it's like people who confess God's provision and God's prosperity, but they such schmucks, they won't, they won't give a cent into his kingdom. Well, you know, what's that about? I mean, you know, the way for financial blessing is wisdom for your finances, yes, but it begins with your tithes and offerings. It begins with your giving. Is that okay? You can't short circuit. You can't get through there any other way. But what is it in human nature that wants the blessing without the process, without the principle? We want the promise without the principle. I mean, we love, we love Ephesians 1, from especially verse 3. You know, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realm with every spiritual blessing in Christ, where He chose us in Him before the creation of the world. Woo, 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 to be holy, I'm holy in His sight, in love He predestined me. He loves me, He loves me. And we love that verse. But then we forget that Ephesians goes on from chapter 1 to chapter 2. Chapter 3, how awesome that is. Chapter 4. But from chapter 4, from somewhere in the middle, it starts to go downhill. Because then Paul starts to tell you what that blessing in the heavenly realm looks like. That clothed in Christ thing, what it looks like. That elevation out of death to be placed at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. He starts to tell you nuts and bolts what it looks like. He starts to talk about the fact that you don't let unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. He starts to talk about don't be angry. Don't let the sin set on your anger. It's amazing. We love these verses, one to three, and a little bit into four. 
Amen? We love those verses. But how about fulfilling all righteousness? Because Paul has this dynamic balance. You can check it through all of his letters. He has this theology. And then he says, okay, now this theology needs to... Let me, let me tell you what it looks like when the tire hits the tarmac. But he talks about no anger. He talks about no sexual immorality, which is any sex outside of God's norms. But fashion these days tells us, you know, culture is now... You know, you check each other out first. You know, then you get married. That's a cultural norm. But it's not the Word. Come on, church. It's not the Word. It's not the Word of God. And so, Paul goes right through it. I made a list, but I won't go into this. I'll let you read it for homework. Okay? Go through chapter 4 and chapter 5. He talks about Walking in forgiveness and in love. You know, being an imitator of God, therefore, over into chapter 5. He talks about not being greedy, not being... And in fact, you know, he talks about anger and greed and sexual immorality. He calls it idolatry. And then we think that he's invoking the law when he says, keep yourself from idols. Well, he kind of is, but basically what he's saying is live your life according to the word. This is fulfilling all righteousness, church. Then he talks about loving your wives. He talks about wives being submissive, submissive, submissive to the husbands, submissive, submissive, loving your wives. Husbands, love your wives, love your wives. Oh, my goodness me. That is a social unnorm, <laughs> you know. How many weddings do I do these days when they go like, don't include that submission part. We just keep the submission part out. Then it's funny to me, you know. It's funny to me, Bev and I observed their marriages later and they submitted to their husbands. And I go like, but they didn't want to use the word. You know, God designed the man to be in charge. Not dominating, it's loving leadership. It's loving fellowship. It's consultative leadership. You know, God knows what he's doing, amen? But we'll break every principle of God. And in the church, they don't fulfill righteousness, but oh, we want the blessing, we want the blessing. Come on, church, if we get back to fulfilling righteousness, everybody wants to claim, I'm under the shadow of His wing, I'm under the shadow of the Almighty. Yeah, if you're living in the secret place. But the secret place is full of principles. Take yourself out of the principle. You're out from under the wing. You're under the wing if you're in the principles of God. Come on, church. One of the reasons why I felt strongly to preach this is because the world is looking for the alternate society. And they're looking at the church and saying, is the message you're preaching real? Because we don't see it in your lives. I hear the message. It sounds fantastic. There's Dr. Wayne Dyer and a fantastic book. Remember that whole series that Prophet Quibus and I preached on, I am, I am, I am. Prophet Quibus started preaching it because he read Wayne Dyer's book, and it's called The Power of Manifesting, or How to Manifest. And he uses Exodus chapter 3, when Moses went to the burning bush and God revealed himself as, as I am who I am. And he talks that whole CD series, Bev and I have it. Prophet Kribus made me a copy. He said, eat the meat, spit out the bones, but there's a lot of meat. And Dr. Wayne Dyer would often say, he says, I don't like the Christian preachers, the pastors, because they have their book full of great stuff to preach. And they preach all this other rubbish legalistically. In other words, they pervert the scriptures 
and it becomes a controlling thing. They're not helping the people to realize, to manifest who they are. And not everything he says is correct, but he talks about the power of manifesting, and he talks very much about it, I am. Now listen, church, we like those confessions, but Thayer's definition of righteousness is that I am what I should be. I am what I should be. And the world is looking for a church and for Christians who speak the Word of God, but who are living the Word of God. And very often, our lives shout too loud and drowns out the beautiful message that we preach. Fulfill all righteousness. Let's pray. Come on, church. Let's make a commitment to fulfill all righteousness. It doesn't matter how hard it is. It doesn't matter how hard it is to go and say, you know, I'm sorry. Forgive me. I was a poor poor. It doesn't matter, you know, how difficult it is. Love your enemies. Pray for them that despitefully use you. Hunger and thirst after righteousness. If you've got a temper, get to grips with God on it. You can learn. You have two fountains within you. The one fountain is of your own natural life. And that's why Jeremiah says, God has an issue with you because you drank from broken cisterns. You drank from your own fountain. There is a fountain of your own natural life inside. But listen, there's another fountain inside of you. It's a river of life. It's springs of living water. If you can tap into that fountain, that fountain will rise up inside of you and change your nature and you will live differently. Amen? Come on, you can overcome your insecurities. You can overcome your low self-esteem. If you connect with the fountain, the well that is inside of you, take time, spend time with God. Amen? I was so insecure. I was so messed up. I was so, you know, had such low self-esteem, you know, until last week. I'm teasing. But, yeah, until last week, I had this low self-esteem, you know, and it was like, you know, some people's confidence is not rooted in reality, you know. Our confidence needs to be rooted in the Word, you know. Some people are self-confident. We need to be Christ-confident. And so I was neither. I was this messed up. You know, I was insecure about everything. You know, and I just really got to grips with God. And that's where I started to understand His love for me. And the fact that I was His son long before it was being preached. And God set me on a course. And I'm not saying I'm perfectly healed. But I'm on the way. And God is healing me. I can face things and deal with things now. And I, it doesn't rattle me. Because I learned God taught me, and he said, get in touch with the other spring, that other fountain that's within you, and you will find life will come up. Amen. So, Father, I want to just seal this word to us as a church. Because of what is ahead, what is coming. Lord, (laughs) post-coronavirus. Lord, it hasn't changed the fact that there's going to be worldwide revival. It's not changed the fact of what you're going to do in South Africa. Lord, it's not the last days. It's not the revealing of the Antichrist. It's going to be the revealing of the sons of God the manifestation of the sons of God. Lord, it's going to be the revealing of the kingdom. And Lord, revival is going to come slowly but surely. Lord, the things that people put their confidence in is shaking. Because Lord, people can see how easily money can fail. They are seeing how easily health can fail now. And so, Father, they're going to start to look for something that's an anchor, something that is secure. And Father, I want to prophesy that all those boats are going to come in to the lighthouse. Lord, they're going to come and anchor onto the rock. That is, Lord, the church of Jesus Christ. 
And Lord, you have told us that we're a city on a hill. We're a light that cannot be hidden. So Lord, all of these are anchoring points. Every saint sitting here and all those watching my live stream, Lord, they are a safe place. They're a dock, a, a harbor where the, the boats of the world, people in the world can come and find safe haven. And stability and security and peace. And God, we thank you, Lord, that you are leading us to fulfill all righteousness. All righteousness. In accordance with the declaration that you've made about us. Heaven is open. We have received the Spirit. We have the affirmation of God. We are sons and daughters of the Most High God. You've set us up as kings under the king. Priests under the high priests. Prophets under our chief prophet. And we thank you, Lord, that we have his same spirit, same attitude. We are here to serve and to do thy will, O God. In Jesus' name, amen.